Hello and welcome to this week's podcast edition of Scripps 5 Must Know Things, this time covering the business week ended 18th August 2023. This is Ian Haydock. This week, a look at global executive compensation, Pfizer's new myeloma approval, Merck and Sichuan, Trump ADC breast cancer success, combo Alzheimer's therapies in Azai's pipeline, and a look at the state of gene therapy. Every year, Scrip and InVivo's Titans of Pharma infographic spotlights the executive compensation packages at Big Pharma, lining CEO and R&D chief remuneration up against other company metrics. The compensation figures provided in our data charts include base salary, bonus and long-term incentives, including equity awards, and are gathered from companies' official filings. The list encompasses 20 biopharma companies with the highest revenues in the world. Eleanor Malone writes that Pfizer's CEO Albert Baller was the highest remunerated Big Pharma CEO in 2022, with a 36% increase in his annual compensation to $33 million. Abvi's Richard Gonzalez enjoyed a 10% boost to put him in second place. Buller is only the second CEO of a big pharma company to bag more than $30 million since Scripps started collecting data on the industry's biggest companies in 2016. Teva Pharmaceutical Industries' Carey Schultz received $32.5 million for his first full year in the job in 2018. Buller has presided over an extraordinary period for Pfizer during which the runaway success of its two COVID-19 products provided a huge boost to the company's revenues. His 2022 compensation package boost came on the back of a 16% rise in 2021 and a 17% rise in 2020. Pfizer's sales rose from $41.9 billion in 2020 to $81.3 billion in 2021, and $100.3 billion in 2022. It will be interesting to see what happens to Baller's compensation package in 2023, with the company recently having updated its annual revenue guidance to $67 to $70 billion as sales of the Comirnaty COVID-19 vaccine and Paxlovid COVID-19 treatment declined sharply. Only three CEOs globally received double-digit percentage increases in 2022, compared with four in 2023. The mean CEO compensation package among the top 18 companies, excluding privately owned Boehringer Engelheim, which does not disclose compensation, and Takeda, which had not reported compensation at time of data collection, was $17 million, up by 2.4% from $16.6 million in 2021. Once again, US CEO compensation outstripped that of companies based in Europe and elsewhere. Eight of the ten best-paid CEOs lead US companies, with none of the CEOs of European pharma companies in our set reaching higher than eighth place. Unusually, Johnson & Johnson has fallen out of the top ten, with CEO Joaquin Duato debuting in the list in twelfth place. His predecessor, Alex Gorski, had topped the table in both prior years. While Gorski took in $26.7 million in his final year, 2021, Duato's package was worth less than half that at $13.1 million in 2022. Please go ahead and explore the interactive dashboard across multiple years and data points in this infographic article.
The number of BCMA-directed therapies for treating multiple myeloma has grown following the US FDA accelerated approval of LREXFIO, Pfizer's anti-BCMA times CD3 bispecific antibody. Given its flat dosing, dosing schedule and adverse event profile, the company sees the potential for the drug to gain traction in the community oncology setting rather than staying relegated to academic cancer centres as BCMA-directed therapies have generally been to date. Like Diamond Rice, the FDA gave the green light to LREXFIO on 14th August for patients who have received at least four prior lines of therapy that include a proteasome inhibitor, an immunomodulatory agent, and an anti-CD38 monoclonal antibody based on results from the Phase II Magnetism three clinical trial. LREXVIO is one of the key pipeline drugs Pfizer expects will help drive company growth in the second half of the decade, despite the upcoming loss of exclusivities of several top-selling drugs. LREXVIO is the second BCMA-directed bispecific antibody to win FDA approval after the approval in October 2022 of Johnson & Johnson's Tecvaly. It also comes fresh on the heels of the 10th August FDA approval of J&J's Talvi as the first GPRC5D approved myeloma therapy. The approval of LREXVIO was based on data from Magnetism 3 in which cohort A comprising 123 patients showed a 61% overall response rate, including 35% who had a complete response or better. Cohort B, which included 64 patients, showed an ORR of 33% among patients who had received prior BCMA-directed CAR-T or ADC therapy, with 84% of responders maintaining response for at least 9 months. One of the selling points that Pfizer is looking to use for LREXVIO is its dosing schedule. What we see here is differentiation around being the first and only bi-weekly BCMA option, Pfizer Multiple Myeloma Development Head Sriram Krishnaswamy told Scrip. I think that's something that we see as being important. But potentially the most ambitious goal is to possibly bring use of LREXVIO into the community oncology setting and Krishnaswamy said flat dosing could enable this by eliminating any complexities and confusions. The adverse event profile and associated monitoring requirements are another factor said Pfizer Vice President of Haematology, Akos Siberi. He noted that while patients require hospitalisation for 48 hours for the first step-up dose and for 24 hours after the second dose, they do not require it afterward. Merck Co.'s advances into the antibody drug conduit or ADC space through its partnership with Sichuan Kalon Pharmaceutical continued to bear fruit with the Chinese biotech heralding success in a late-stage study for the leading compound in the pact MK2870 or SKB264 in the treatment of triple-negative breast cancer. Kevin Grogan writes that Keelun has announced that an independent data monitoring committee has concluded an interim analysis of data from a Phase 3 trial of MK2870, which targets TROP2 and declared that the trial met the primary endpoint of significantly improving progression-free survival compared with standard chemotherapy in patients with advanced or metastatic TNBC who have failed at least second-line therapy. Keelun said it was in talks regarding a regulatory submission in China.
The ADC, which contains a sulfonyl pyrimidine CL2A carbonate linker and a belotecan derivative payload, has received a breakthrough therapy designation in China for TNBC. The company is confident it will become the first domestic TROP2 ADC to get approval for the Chinese market and noted that the drug was also in a Phase 2 trial with or without KLA-167, Keelan's own anti-PD-L1 monoclonal antibody, as a first-line treatment for advanced TNBC. The news from China will be welcomed by Merck, which has a wide-ranging alliance with Keelan for seven preclinical ADCs, in a deal that could be worth a jaw-dropping $9.3 billion if all candidates get approved and sell well. At the American Society of Clinical Oncology meeting in June, Kilun presented Phase 2 data in NSCLC, where MK2870 showed a 44% partial response rate, albeit in a small sample of 43 patients and only in Chinese hospitals. Of note is that Chinese NSCLC patients tend to have more EGFR-driven disease than those in the West, and EGFR-mutation-positive NSCLC is more responsive to chemotherapy, which is ultimately what an ADC delivers. Nevertheless, some observers believe that MK2870 could present stiff competition to Gilead Sciences' TROP2-targeting ADC Trudelvi, the first drug in its class to win US approval back in 2020. Tridelvi is indicated for certain settings in TNBC, HR-positive, HER2-negative breast cancer and urothelial carcinoma and is already a blockbuster. Azai has a challenging task ahead in bringing its Biogen-partnered amyloid protofibril clearing antibody, Lekembi, to Alzheimer's patients in a market that's struggling to meet the testing and IV administration requirements for the medicine. However, that hasn't stopped the company from investing in additional new medicines for the disease, including an anti-tau antibody and other novel treatments that could see use alone or in combination with Lakembi or other drugs. Andy Jackson writes that the Japanese company presented biomarker data for Lakembi and initial phase 1 results for its microtubule binding region targeted anti-tau agent E2814. The recent Alzheimer's Association International Conference and more data are expected for both molecules over the next several months. Azai also has taken two new candidates into phase 1 with readouts expected in 2024. These are E2511, a small molecule tropomyosin receptor kinase A allosteric modulator, and the antibody E2025, an efferin receptor A4 inhibitor. In addition, the company has a TREM2 modulator in the discovery stage. We do think that all of these molecules are complementary, targeting different parts of the Alzheimer's pathway, Michael Irizarry, who's Azai Inc.'s Deputy Chief Clinical Officer and Senior Vice President of Clinical Research for Alzheimer's Disease and Brain Health, told Scrip. It may ultimately require kind of specific biomarkers to determine the patients that would be optimal at the specific stage for each of these particular treatments, Irizarry said. We do think that, like cancer, it'll require kind of a specialised combination of treatments to really arrest the disease, as well as moving earlier to perhaps prevent the development of the disease overall. 
Bezai continues to seek out novel Alzheimer's biomarkers and drug candidates through in-house research, as well as through partnerships beyond its biogen collaboration around Lakembi. We always survey the environment, especially to see if there's anything that is either further along than our current molecules, or that have benefits in certain ways, especially in the discovery phases, Irizari said. Finally, a trickle becoming a stream might describe the state of gene therapy development in the US, where in the year 2023 regulators anticipate approving as many gene therapies as they had from 2017 to 2022. In the process, the US FDA will have unleashed not only viral vector-based gene therapies for ultra-rare diseases, but treatments using newer modalities like gene editing to treat more common conditions like sickle cell disease. Alaric Diamond writes, the most recent addition to the armamentarium is Biomarin Pharmaceuticals Roctavian, which the FDA approved for Haemophilia A on 29th June, after a long and winding road to market. Just seven days before, the agency gave the green light to Sarepta Therapeutics Elevidis for Duchenne muscular dystrophy. Both approvals were firsts and both have some limitations. Elevidis, the first gene therapy for DMD, was granted an accelerated approval based on the surrogate biomarker of expression of dystrophin protein for a narrow range of children aged 4 to 5. Sarepta is awaiting results of an ongoing phase 3 trial. Roctavian became the first gene therapy for haemophilia A, but an imputation analysis that the FDA used to isolate the effect of the gene therapy from prophylactic therapy limits the claims made on the label in a way that could make it harder to persuade physicians to use it. In May, the FDA approved the first redosable and topical gene therapy, Crystal Biotech's Vigivec, for dystrophic epidermolysis bullosa. And in December, the agency is expected to approve two gene therapies for sickle cell disease. Bluebird Bio's lentiviral vector-based Levotibeglogene autotemcell and what could become the first ever gene-edited therapy, Vertex Pharmaceuticals CRISPR Therapeutics CRISPR-Cas9-based exagamglogene autotemcell. The regulatory developments are encouraging for the field but building successful commercial businesses remains an uncertain hurdle for the industry. Despite progress, some big farmers have backed off the space. Pfizer, for example, despite having made steep investments in gene therapy, announced plans to de-emphasise the area earlier this year, though it is continuing a late-stage programme for DMD. Stephen Majors, Global Head of Communications at the Alliance for Regenerative Medicine, noted the US FDA forecast it would approve 10 to 20 cell and gene therapies per year starting in 2025, suggesting that the rate at which it is currently approving them puts the agency on the way to achieving that goal. But as more gene therapies come onto the market, it will require a rethink of the way healthcare systems pay for treatments, given their often high cost, but also high value, and incorporating outcomes-based models. Other models have also been floated, such as mortgage-style payments, but payers did not embrace them. Check out the article in full for an infographics-supported overview of therapies, pipeline and pricing in the fast-developing sector. That's all for this week. Many thanks for listening. 
All these stories are linked in the description. And log in to access all our much more extensive content from Script, or take a free trial to see what you're missing. Bye for now.